0: Hi, welcome to the CFO Circle podcast, powered by High Radius. I'm your host, Madhurima Gupta, and today we have with us Steve Roswell. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, and it's a pleasure to be on your show, Madhurima.
0: I am so excited about talking to you today about understanding how CFO offices should move away from their worry about recession and how should they prepare well for it. So before we get started with the actual interview discussion, I actually wanted to share a little bit of information and backdrop on why we are talking about this particular session uh, about recession and how to prepare for it, right? And if CFO officers should worry about recession. So the global economy right now is entering in what could become a protracted period of feeble growth and elevated inflation, according to World Bank's latest economic growth prospects report. Uh, The global growth is expected to slump from 5.7% in 2021 to 2.9% in 2022, which is slightly lower than 4.1% that was anticipated in January. And uh, because of this, there has been talk around the dreaded R word, which is recession. And that is getting louder as inflation geopolitical tensions and and supply chain disruptions have been hammering the global economy. So what does this really imply for businesses around the world? To answer that, uh, Steve is here with us. He's the founder of CFO University, a global professional development community dedicated to growing finance leaders. He has honed his ability to drive change, improve profitability, and ensure long-term financial health for businesses. He founded KRM Business Solutions in 2004 to assist Pacific Northwest companies in developing knowledge, processes, systems, and tools that they need for success. So that's a little bit about you, Steve. Would you like to say share something about your journey with our listeners?
1: Well, well thank you for that. A nice introduction. Yeah, you know, about five years ago, we kind of converted into a consulting firm advising CFOs and, and the boards and CEOs on finance matters. To CFO.university, which is a platform to develop uh, financial leaders and CFOs in the future. So that's kind of what we've morphed into. And we're having a lot of fun uh, meeting people like yourself at high radius uh, on our journey. So uh, we're re- really excited to be here today.
0: So without further ado, I want to ask you the very first question that I have for you. And, uh, you know, we wanted to understand for wo- young workers who didn't experience the last major economic slowdown that is the great recession between 2007 and 2009 the conception is an abstract one that doesn't uh, you know cause as much anxiety uh, what was your experience like in uh, you know during the recession that lasted between 2007 to 2009
1: well, you know, it started through a whole lo- a different series of events. There wasn't a pandemic. There wasn't all the things that kind of are leading up to what we're facing today. But there was a banking crisis. So there was a huge housing crisis. And certainly from the United States, and I think, you know, generally around the world, housing prices and and building had, had, was just ravaging low interest rates, fuel that, uh, not dissimilar to what we have today but the building was going crazy. And so, and what happened is it, it all of a sudden the banking system failed. People realized there was a lot of bad mortgages out there and, and things stopped, came to a halt very quickly. And so I think a difference in the, or one of the things people should be aware of who who didn't go through that is that um, it stopped on a dime. It was a banking crisis. So you could, you know, everyone was worried about banks failing. So I did a lot with my clients. It was like, is our bank going to fail? How close are they? Are we going to be able to get money from them? Should we put deposits? So it was a different, quite a different focus than we have today at this time. But it was all about banking and it was all led by this whole building crisis where things just stopped. And so what we saw around here for five or seven years after that, there's you know partially built out lots of residential and large buildings that had just stopped. And they sat vacant basically for five or six years. And so that was a huge uh, part, you know, housing prices plummeted. So people felt they were, their net worth declined. So personally, people felt it um, very close. And I, and I think we're kind of, I'm not sure which way we're going to go, but we're not in that frenzy yet of what 2007 and you know, 2009 created, uh, which, you know, there was banks that were failing, the governments were trying to keep the banking system going. So there's a whole, there's a little bit more panic around the banking system than uh, than I think we've seen uh, so far, in anything close to that in the last uh, you know the last twelve months.
0: Got it. The Fed's decision to raise interest rate by three fourths of a percent point is the most aggressive rate action the bank has taken since 1994. Uh, how do these high rate, uh, high interest rates impact businesses that run on credit or businesses that are looking to expand?
1: Yeah, you know, it, there's a number of different ways. Number one, the most obvious is is money costs more. So it's going to hurt your PL. If you borrow a lot of money, your income statement's going to get hurt because you're going to pay more interest. Uh, but there's a few other subtle ways that it impacts as well. One is there's, there's a covenants in our banking covenants. So you'll borrow money and there'll be kind of triggers that happen. And around those banking covenants, uh, one of them is a fixed charge ratio. And as your interest costs go up, fixed charges has to do with your principal payments and your interest payments. And they will, the bank will only give you so much money in a coverage basis based on, on what your payments are. And so as your interest costs go up, your borrowing capacity goes down. So, you know, it's going to make it harder for people to get as much money as they want to expand or for working capital purposes or whatever. So there's going to be a limit, uh, a lower limit on what people can uh, can borrow. And then there's currently there's these covenants in place. So, you know, there's a lot of deals that have been done in the last five and six years or three months, for that matter, that have these covenants in them that this is gonna make it harder to make those covenants. So there's a lot of implications uh, besides just we're gonna pay more for money um, that I know CFOs are looking at very carefully right now because you don't wanna trip a covenant. You don't wanna have those problems and, and higher interest rates uh, for those companies who are growing quickly and we're leveraging to do that. Um, you know, it, it's, it could put a big hurt on them and, and CFOs uh, are really you know trying their best to stay on top of that.
0: Many economists believe that recession is inevitable this year or even next. Uh, Do you agree with that? And if you do, uh, how can CFO officers prepare themselves for recession?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this. But, uh, you know, in the U.S., we've gone through two quarters of, uh, you know, negative GDP growth. And that is a common definition of a recession. So some people would say in the U.S., for sure, we're already in a recession. Um, I know that there's some upticks the labor market's strong there's some other things that are that are kind of um, making us doubt are we really in a recession yet but I look at um, the high valuations that we've had from you know in the stock market in the housing market you know look at our you know our uh, cryptocurrencies you look at all these assets that have kind of you know got really expanded in, in price over the past 5 years and and even longer in some cases. And you say how long can that run? So that's one of my concerns that that, that, that you know it's good that we have a leveling off. I think um, that could actually keep us out of a recession. So I know the housing prices here in the US are kind of stabilizing. And that I think that's a good thing. The stock market's kind of been flat for a while, actually come down almost. I mean, it's almost come down 20% since the beginning of the year. So, you know, that's another side of a recession. So I think we're we're in a slowdown, and that's you know, after this hyper growth we've had. You know that could make for a softer landing. So, and I, I I'm, I'm optimistic that the, you know our business leaders or CFOs out there, you know, are gonna are gonna help uh, help make sure we're properly managed. And then I hope that our our politicians act responsibly in, in how much debt we take out and, and what we do there, uh, that we can kind of have a a soft landing to this uh, this bump in the road
0: absolutely so you know recessions here almost or at least the fears are growing inflation is running hot stock market is turbulent yet workers continue to ditch their jobs which is at record high why do you think is this happening
1: you know i would say uh, in the us um a big part of that is a lot of stimulus money so the us kind of propped up uh, propped up a lot of our economy through you know uh, the government issue more bonds and, and and special programs um so that one of the concerns is that's kind of run its course Uh i my my number one concern on where we are today is that we haven't really felt it yet i mean you know $5 in the us $5 a gallon gas prices is unprecedented and that may that may be even low from the world standards but it's very high in the us and yet there's still people you know the the roads are still full so I'm, my I'm wondering whether we've really felt it yet. So we've read a lot about it. We've seen the statistics. I don't think our behavior is changing. And that could, you know, there could be a brick wall yet to hit and that we just, we're not there yet. You know, we see all the signals, but nobody's really in the mindset of, I have to change my behavior. This is really going to hurt. Some of that's by, you know, what we did through the pandemic to kind of keep the economies going. Um, We may still feel a little bit of benefit from that. And and uh, that, that would be the downside. So that's where I'm worried that, you know, our behavior isn't changing enough to really warrant, you know, a soft, soft landing on this. But, uh, but you know, we are, we are slowing down. And that, to me, is, is, is a good thing, you know, for a little, for a bit.
0: Absolutely. And um, how do you think uh, the CFOs or what would you recommend the CFOs to plan uh, in order to retain and recruit the next generation of staff and leaders at their respective companies?
1: Yeah, you know, there, there's been a big a big shift. I think the CFO role of the finance role in general, typically considered, you know, kind of numbers crunchers, not people oriented. I think over the last 15 and 20 years, that's really been changing. We realize that that uh, you know it isn't our ability to do a financial statement that uh, that uh, kind of you know makes our careers. It's the ability to lead people. And so I think uh, the finance leaders are recognizing that, and I think that all comes into play with how we develop and certainly. Our model is a development model. So one of the things that we feel is very important in the, the next steps is to develop, people have to see a path. And to do that, you know, you have to spend time on, on sharing that path with them. And uh, so development I think is super important from a retention standpoint and from a recruiting standpoint, and also from a you know, performance enhancement standpoint. So we look at the, you know, giving really great development opportunities uh, to our employees, as, as, as an important attraction to them, and I think the the idea that um, you know the, the what quote the soft skills are much becoming much more important than the technical skills. Now, I will say that if you don't have the technical skills, you can't you don't get in the starting gate. So you need to know a financial statement. You need to understand that piece. That 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 isn't less important, but for growth in the future, there's very very few jobs now. That, that don't take great communication skills, um, you know uh, creative thought, innovation, a bunch of curiosity in what we do, um, those those jobs are getting you know taken over by the the bots of the world and automation and so and that's not going to slow down. That's going to continue. So having you know you know hiring people with great communication skills, hiring people that have a you know super uh, intellectual curiosity, they want to know more and more. Um, I think that's that's where our focus is. And that's, I think, what business schools are developing now, uh, you know, really focusing on some of these other skills that, you know, 20 years ago, you think, well, a financial person, you know, they're going to crunch some numbers and, you know, they'll throw something over the over the cubicle to, you know, the rest of the team. And that that is completely upside down. Now, that's not that's not a focus at all for any finance leader um it's well rounded individuals who can communicate well and have a curiosity that uh, they can't satisfy
0: and um we just talked a little bit about skill uh, you know assessment and upskilling of uh, uh, the team members so um you know as per um, and i'm just recollecting one research that i read through i think it was by mckenzie and company wherein they said that about 87% of their executives were experiencing skill gaps in their a B2B workforce, right? Uh, and which makes uh, reskilling and upskilling the need of the hour, right? So, what are some essential skills that you would recommend a finance professional to have so that uh, they are upskilled and they're able to make into new jobs or they're able to be selected for these new jobs that are currently hiring?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, we've talked about all the soft skills. So, we kind of talked about that, I think, quite a bit, where you know, really good communication skills, a good presence about yourself, you know, a, an insatiable curiosity. And I love that the people who just want to know more and more. They ask that mm-hmm. why question a lot. So people who are going to uncover things just because they just want to learn more. That is that's that to me is one of the most valuable skills of any leader, not just a finance leader, but can have. Um, but then there's also there's a there's a move away. I'm um, not a move away. A, a, a growth in data analytics, and so I think understanding how to use data analytics and how to, you know, the the, you know, what that means, what what, and that means being able to assess what information is out there that we should be capturing that we can do more with, and that's a huge skill. So it isn't it isn't, you know, we can find the data scientists. I mean, they're they're valuable, and important, and get paid a lot, but it's that skill to be able to understand. What's important in you know in our business from an information standpoint, and how do we capture that, and then how do we make data-driven decisions? So I think the big push for the the finance role, one of the huge opportunities besides this, you know, you know, creating a more uh, a, a skilled force with communication and those things that we discussed, is you know using data in our life to make better decisions. And, you know, we've always done that from a historical standpoint and used analysis and things and historical, you know, records and, and trends. And now I think we're trying to find that next level of, well, how do we get predictive? How do we get, you know, how do we understand what's going to happen and, and shape the future rather than report the future? So I think that whole area of, you know, future focused rather than historical focused is uh, is a is a mindset shift for us and it also is going to take some technology some capabilities and some understanding of uh, of you know data analytics and and how we can make better decisions as a group with those
0: absolutely talking about how to use analytics better um you know given inflation recession every cfo's office today needs to improve their cash flow and lower their dso right um how How do you think a cloud-based analytics platform can help a CFO achieve this?
1: Well, we just went over the data. The, having that data to understand, I look at it as and DSO is one piece. It's the whole working capital. In fact, one of our number one areas that that CFOs we took a poll not long ago and working capital, of which DSO is a big part of, was the number one concern to raise to raise money and to understand you know how to manage our working capital better. And by the way, it wasn't just people reducing working capital. Some of them that were having inventory problems actually said, mm-hmm. "Hey, how do we?" Or working capital to fund our inventory. But from a from a standpoint of technologies, um, they're invaluable, right? Because they give us that data that we don't have to search for or guess at. And, and that gives you the opportunity to model different scenarios. And what I look at working capital, our, the biggest role for the CFO and the finance team in working capital is educating our peers, you know, the other executives and, and the people who are impacting working capital to understand how their actions impact DSO, for example. So if the salesperson's out there selling, you know, 45-day terms and our, you know, DSO goals are set at 30-day terms, we've got a disconnect. And so helping people understand what they're, you know, what, how they're impacting our whole working capital piece, that education is where I think these systems can be so valuable. And And things like uh, systems also, a really good uh, automation system can help us flag, you know, you can use that for bad customers. So all of a sudden you have a credit, well, how do you recognize that? Well, we get known when they don't pay us. Well, that's a little bit late. If we can find out earlier, you know, what triggers in that customer might put them in default of a payment, If we can anticipate that, we can do more. And that's what these systems allow us to do. We can do a lot more data analysis on customers, on their payment histories, when when we can expect something, a bad event to happen and be more predictive on that than than being uh, kind of after the fact
0: absolutely and uh, you know we kind of come to the conclusion of the episode uh, but before we do that there is one thing that i want to talk to you about and this is from a deloitte report uh, which is uh, you know called boosting resilience working with like minded partners to orchestrate critical supply chains right and um, according to this report one of more recent approaches to supply chain is friendshoring wherein, um, you know, it is recommended that companies develop relationship with key suppliers around the world to prevent supply chain disruption that a lot of companies have faced recently. Uh, what is your take on French, Orin?
1: I think that's another tool to use to prevent uh, supply chain disruption. You know, we went through a whole phase and the whole, the 80s and the 90s and even the early part of this century were spent on just-in-time inventory, lean manufacturing, Six Sigma—that all was meant to take cost out of our value chain, or out of our supply chains. And in doing that, we went to one supplier, a preferred supplier. We went to the cheapest supplier. We tried, and and we found out that that system did not work in a pandemic, in a supply chain disruption. When you know it didn't work. And so I think this idea of French shoring makes a lot of sense as an option. You know, so uh, I, I, whether whether it's the, the, the only tool people can use, I don't believe that, but I think it sure makes a lot of sense uh, from a protection standpoint. So when you look at risk management, you look at your supply chain from a risk management standpoint, having more than one option is always a value. And you know how you maintain that friend shoring piece, um, you know, that'll be contractual, it'll be how you maintain that relationship. Um, and I think suppliers are still, you, know, you wanna be a preferred supplier. So that, that's the battle I think people are going to fight is how do we have, you know, how do we develop, you know, what does that French shoring look like? Is it five suppliers for one product? Is it two suppliers? Is it, How is it geographic? So I think there's some, some, um, some things to work on, but it makes a lot of sense given, you know, what we've gone through and this whole craze that we went through to to be so efficient in our supply chain that if we had one hiccup, it shut our business down. And that's kind of what happened in the last the last couple of years is that, you know, you know, one one party, you know, you couldn't get one tool uh, that, you know, one nut that you needed to finish your product and you couldn't manufacture anything. So I think people realize that that was a whole, we kind of overdid it on the, uh, on the lead manufacturing side. And uh, there's a, a finer balance of which French shoring certainly fits in as a way to fix that.
0: Absolutely. And do you think French shoring is gonna help with recession or managing recession better at CFO's office?
1: You know, I think any any way that we can, and I'm a big fan, by the way, the CFO being involved in the supply chain, I think that is absolutely critical. But I think um, any ways that we can uh, take risk out of our supply chain without adding a bunch of cost, I think that is value add. So I think that's what we've learned, If CFOs have learned that, you know, we can be too tight with the supply chain, and that can shut down our businesses. So having flexibility. So I look at it as a risk management issue, you know, and really understanding where 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 can things, where can we get shut down? And that includes the whole supply chain. So people with complex supply chains have a, you know, have a big risk management uh, opportunity um, to make sure that their supply chain. And French shoring can certainly be a a part of that in improving the supply chain, which will improve the, uh, you know, our ability to get goods to people, which will improve the economy.
0: Perfect. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing uh, these insights on whether CFO offices should worry about recession or not. I hope uh, that you enjoyed having this discussion as much as I did. Steve, really appreciate your time.
1: I sure did. It was really fun talking to you. You know, Madarim, I really appreciate the time and and it was fun. So uh, we'll have to do this again.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to doing it again with you as well. And for our listeners out there, I hope this was an exciting conversation for you and this helped you out in one way or the other. Please stay tuned. We'll be back with more.